1: Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. You know, I started this podcast almost five years ago because I have learned something and that is success leaves clues. When you get the opportunity to talk to or listen to really successful people who are creating cool things in this world, they can't help it. They have to leave a little nugget, a little idea, a little enthusiasm behind. And I think enthusiasm is the word of today's podcast because I have the honor that we are going to get to talk to one of the largest, most recognizable reality TV stars of all time. Now, uh, some of you may know um, that I had the opportunity, I think I mentioned it on a previous show to spend the day at the cast party and then the watching party for the season finale of season 31 of The Amazing Race. My wife is a huge fan of The Amazing Race. I don't think she's ever missed an episode of any of the seasons over the 15 plus years that this show has been on the air. And this year, a friend of mine was really good friends with Colin and Chris, Colin and Christy, the team that won a million dollars on season 31, and they had invited my friend to come spend the day with them at the watching party and he said can I bring my friends Tom and Sarah Sarah is a huge fan and Colin's answer was yes and in fact the next episode if you tune in in two days uh, we'll have a really cool interview with Colin that you'll get to listen to as well here on cool things entrepreneurs do but while we were spending the day there uh, we had the opportunity to meet Rupert Bonham And Rupert was on season seven, season eight, season 20, and he and his wife, Laura, were on season 27 of The Amazing Race, and then he and Laura were also on this season, I'm sorry, of Survivor, and then he and his wife were also on this season of The Amazing Race. And uh, we got to spend a little time with him, and I I couldn't stop just being drawn in to a conversation about what Rupert has done going back to 1991, long before... He was a reality TV star. He has dedicated his time to helping kids, to help empower young children discover their inner strengths, their uh, realize their own self-worth, and recognize their value to society. He has started Rupert's Kids, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps individuals who have recently been released from um, – who have recently been released from correctional facilities and helps them become active and contributing members of society. Rupert's Kids is an awesome cause that is in the Indianapolis area. He is located a few miles outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, in a town called Shelbyville. And I just had to ask Rupert to come and tell his story here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So, Rupert, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you so much. It's a a pleasure to be here, man. I love talking about what we're doing with our mentoring program.
1: It's amazing what you're doing. and I can't believe this goes way, way back to 1991. Now, it wasn't called Rupert's Kids back then. It was called Kids Hope. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started doing this?
2: You know, when in the 80s, I was in the institutions and working in the facilities and seeing, you know, the, the system going to more uh, covering their themselves with documentation instead of worrying more about the quality of life. And then watching the school system uh, systematically remove all the industrial arts and the life skills and all. And realized when young men and women were being kicked out of school in 1989, 1990 with no real education and nowhere to go. We started creating that vocational mentoring program and incorporated actually Kids Hope in 91, uh, just working in the juvenile detention center and working as young as 12 year old children, teaching them how to make that legal living. You know, we, we had a wonderful success for many years, but you know uh, uh, when I went out to Survivor in 2003, and my phone number, my address, all our stuff was still in the phone book. It, it, <laughs> didn't really think about buying, you know, my name or company names or anything. When I came back from Survivor and tried to buy Kids Hope, Kids Helping Other People Exist, and Rupert Bonham, some wonderful entrepreneur had already bought them and was trying to sell them back to me for a hundred thousand dollars I dissolved kids hope and incorporated Rupert's kids that day bought Rupert 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 B Rupert's kids Rupert everything I could (laughs) a month later I won a million dollars on Survivor All Stars you know uh, uh, the big fan vote. We then were able to move out of just our house and had office space, and when I refiled for my nonprofit status, instead of taking years, Rupert's Kids was incorporated as a 501c3 in a few months, and we were up and running. Nice, nice. I
1: can't believe— I, I mean, I almost have this pain in my stomach. I believe in entrepreneurship, but I also right. believe in sort of good entrepreneurship. I can't believe that, that you sh- you show up on this reality show, and I know that they profile people when they do this. And hey, here's this this good guy from Indianapolis who's helping kids get out of prison and, and get legal living and helping them learn trades. And somebody bought your name and your and your nonprofit's name and tried to sell them back to you. I'm kind of barfing in my throat a little bit. That kind. It makes me sad. You know, it's
2: uh, I do like that entrepreneur style, too. But, you know, your own name being it, it was a little funny. It's a little different not being able to own my own darn name. But, you know, it's okay. We went on. But that's just like I teach my kids in our mentoring program when people put a roadblock up in front of you, you figure out how to get around it.
1: (laughs) That's just what I was going to say. I mean, part of entrepreneurship is you got to zig when other people zag. Somebody said, Aha, I gotcha, and you dissolved the organization and renamed it Rupert's Kids, and (laughs) we're up and running.
2: Done, Done. done.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, that's awesome. So so what made you, I mean, obviously, when we think of entrepreneurship, you know, in this society, we think of people starting tech companies and, you know, scaling businesses. But in reality, I mean, what you have done is you have created this, this organization, this nonprofit that is helping people, and you've created it in such an entrepreneurial way. What do you think gave you that entrepreneurial spirit? Were you always that way? Were you the kid uh, with lemonade stands when you were five years old? What gave you that entrepreneurial drive to start this and grow it? it.
2: Oh, my gosh, yes. Even I was that kid, even, that would have the little backyard circus with the crawdads (laughs) and turtles and fish that I would catch in the pond and have in my, you know, and charge kids a nickel to play around with the the creatures that we caught. When I was six years old, I was a seeing eye dog for a few months for one of my father's friends that had lost his dog, Uh, and I was paid a quarter a day. I was the best darn seeing eye dog ever Uh, by 10 years old. You know, I had a paper route by 15. I was working a full time job and and going to high school by, you know, 20 years old. I was out in Texas working the oil field and found my true passion of the institution work and the, the mental health field but really fine-tuning that to figure out who I was. But yes, my whole life, that is what we teach now, that self-reliance, that self-sufficiency, that self-worth. You know, being able to rely on yourself when everything else around you is falling apart, you can pull it all back together.
1: So how did you discover that you enjoyed helping people who had these types of problems or were incarcerated? Where Where did that come from?
2: Um, well, you know, uh, I, I tell the, the men and women in our program all the time, even I was no angel. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I was one of our guys in the program. But back in my day, instead of taking you straight to jail, they would look at you, you know, pour your beer out or pour whatever out, grind it into the dirt. and say, I'm taking you home. Not, I'm taking you to jail and ruining your life. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, being watching our system go to more of a punitive, watching them turn the detention centers into a for profit business. Watching companies and prisons be guaranteeing that we stay above ninety five percent capacity. Uh all the things that I'm watching that I watched as the change, especially from the inside inside in, in the uh institutions as one of the workers seeing how we need to go back to the old ways of giving those second chances of teaching, you know, grabbing a hold and letting the school of hard knocks be a teacher instead of just throwing them away. You know, I was one of those young men, but I was able to have a second chance.
1: Sure, sure. So now that you've been doing this and that you've created this 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 wonderful program and, you know, it's become, you know, more than just a thing, it's obviously part of your life. What do you love? Right. What do you love about the fact that you've been able to sort of carve your own path in the world? What do you like about that?
2: You know, being able to show and, you know, I... What we're trying to create here is that template, that template that any city USA can use that every city, every community across the country needs. You know, we've all got overcrowded detention centers in our community and people and communities are fighting to get more prisons in their in their uh, communities instead of looking at how we can put these guys back to work and help all of us instead of pay to put people behind bars. Every city has got that, uh, that abandoned building. Every city has got that overcrowded detention center. Every city has that group of people. I wanna be able to create a template that we can spread across the country and show people the step-by-step process that has taken me years to do that. I've done the legwork. I see how we what we have to do to change the zoning law to make some of these abandoned properties have the ability to house, and teach young men and women how to make that legal living and not spend tax dollars do it, not cost us money, but save everyone out there tax dollars and go back to the old way of looking at the end product being the life that you're changing, not the dollars that it's generating. So let's you know, let's talk what a little I'm bit really proud of. Let's being talk able a, to show that.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about about two things you just said. One is, you know, sort of the dollars that, it, that it's costing our communities to do this rather than being able to put these people back to work. But more importantly, you've got 20, 30 years of experience doing this. What is what is the hard part of being a 501C3 and trying to work with the government?
2: You know, being being that 501c3 that is working at trying to lessen the population and the detention centers when most programs out there are trying to increase, it is just now the pendulum starting to swing back to see maybe locking everyone up is not the answer, maybe creating more problems is not the answer being able to show that, you know, the dollars we spend locking someone up forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, really just gets us that ability to spend it again next year. It is not getting us very much bang for our buck. But it is providing a lot of income and a lot of money generated out there in our program and what we're doing and the ability to show that you can take a a, someone that is addicted to alcohol or drugs, someone that is a career criminal, some, uh, uh, you know, someone that has never made a legal living in their life. Teach them. It might take a year or two, but teach them how to make a legal living. Spend maybe five, $6,000 a year teaching them how to because they're out there working, learning on their own, making their own money. And after a year or two, we spend no more money on them. And they go out into the community and pay their taxes, pay their way, take care of themselves and give back. You know, that in our world, when we talk about the dollars spent and the tax dollars out there and, you know, the the separation between the classes and the dollars, this is a great way to show how we can help all the population not have to spend so many tax dollars and be putting more productive workers back in more productive entrepreneurs these are the people that you know have been living on the street that make great businessmen and women they have that (laughs) that skill of hustling we just got to teach them how to hustle legally
1: (laughs) so you must have had some real good wins over the years where you've helped somebody uh and taught them these skills do you have a story that comes to mind of somebody who obviously was you know a criminal or they were on drugs who you know now has turned everything around and, and is doing exactly what you hope all of these people can do
2: you know a young man that was walked into our office with the electronic tracker on his leg with them saying this man you know he has nowhere he has nothing he's been living on the streets we we are ready to throw him away luckily i had some friendship with the detention center for them to give this kid a chance but They were ready to throw him away for 16 months in prison if we couldn't figure out how to get him a place to live and a job to be able to pay for his tracker. Now, in one year, he dropped over 100 pounds of weight and paid off over $8,000 in debt hmm. and stayed clean and sober. was a wonderful success story, but boy, when he walked in this door, there was no one or nothing that would help him or do for him. The system was ready to throw him away, spend a few hundred thousand dollars on locking him up. Teaching him nothing, doing nothing. Now, he's on his own, doing factory work, making 14 bucks an hour, taking custody of his children, paying for them, and buying his own property. Wow. You know, turning into a productive, truly a productive part of society instead of one that is just taking
1: Wow. That is I mean, I I get I get chills, you know, hearing things like that, because one of the things that I do, Rupert, is I go into companies and I I work with, you know, organizations, companies and associations talking about this gap that exists, obviously in the corporate world, not in the world that that you're in, but between potential and performance. And and how do we get people to get across this gap and actually achieve results? And what's amazing is, is even at the highest levels, even in white collar world, people aren't reaching their potential, Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. You know, I started this podcast almost five years ago because I have learned something, and that is success leaves clues. When you get the opportunity to talk to or listen to really successful people who are creating cool things in this world, they can't help it. They have to leave a little nugget, a little idea, a little enthusiasm behind. And I think enthusiasm is the word of today's podcast because I have the honor that we are going to get to talk to one of the largest, most recognizable reality TV stars of all time. Now, uh, some of you may know um, that I had the opportunity. I think i Mentioned it on a previous show to spend the day at the cast party and then the watching party for the season finale of season 31. Of the Amazing Race, my wife is a huge fan of the Amazing Race. I don't think she's ever missed an episode of any of the seasons over the fifteen plus years that this show has been on the air. And this year, a friend of mine was really good friends with Colin and Colin and Christy, the team that won a million dollars on season thirty-one, and they had invited my friend to come spend the day with them at the watching party. And he said, can I bring my friends Tom and Sarah? Sarah is a huge fan. And Colin's answer was yes. And in fact, the next episode, if you tune in in two days, uh, we'll have a really cool interview with Colin that you'll get to listen to as well here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. But while we were spending the day there, uh, we had the opportunity to meet Rupert Bonham. And Rupert was on season seven, season eight, season 20, and he and his wife, Laura, were on season 27 of The Amazing Race. And then he and Laura were also on this season, I'm sorry, of Survivor. And then he and his wife were also on this season of The Amazing Race. And uh, we got to spend a little time with him. And I I couldn't stop just being drawn in to a conversation about what Rupert has done going back to 1991, long before... He was a reality TV star. He has dedicated his time to helping kids, to help empower young children discover their inner strengths, their uh, realize their own self-worth, and recognize their value to society. He has started Rupert's Kids, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps individuals who have recently been released from um, – who have recently been released from correctional facilities and helps them become active and contributing members of society. Rupert's Kids is an awesome cause that is in the Indianapolis area. He is located a few miles outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, in a town called Shelbyville. And I just had to ask Rupert to come and tell his story here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So, Rupert, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you so much. It's a a pleasure to be here, man. I love talking about what we're doing with our mentoring program.
1: It's amazing what you're doing. I can't believe this goes way, way back to 1991. Now, it wasn't called Rupert's Kids back then. It was called Kids Hope. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started doing this?
2: You know, when in the 80s, I was in the institutions and working in the facilities and seeing, you know, the, the system going to more uh, covering their themselves with documentation instead of worrying more about the quality of life. And then watching the school system uh, systematically remove all the industrial arts and the life skills and all and realized when young men and women were being kicked out of school in 1989, 1990 with no real education and nowhere to go. We started creating that vocational mentoring program and incorporated, actually, Kids Hope in 91, uh, just working in the juvenile detention center and working as young as 12-year-old children, teaching them how to make that legal living, you know? We, we had a wonderful success for many years, but you know uh, uh, when I went out to Survivor in 2003, and my phone number, my address, all our stuff was still in the phone book. (laughs) Didn't really think about buying, you know, my name or company names or anything. When I came back from Survivor and tried to buy Kids Hope, Kids Helping Other People Exist, and Rupert Bonham some wonderful entrepreneur had already bought them and was trying to sell them back to me for $100,000. Oh I dissolved God. Kids Hope and incorporated Rupert's Kids that day, bought Rupert, Rupert, Rupert B, Rupert's Kids, Rupert everything I could. <laughs> a month later, I won a million dollars on Survivor All-Stars, you know, uh, uh, the big fan vote. We then were able to move out of just our house and had office space. And when I refiled for my nonprofit status, instead of taking years, Rupert's Kids was incorporated as a 501c3 in a few months, and we were up and running. Nice,
1: nice. I can't believe... I, I mean, I almost have this pain in my stomach. I believe in entrepreneurship, but I also right. believe in sort of good entrepreneurship. I can't believe that, that you sh- you show up on this reality show, and I know that they profile people when they do this, and hey, here's this this good guy from Indianapolis who's helping kids get out of prison and, and get legal living and helping them learn trades, and somebody bought your name and your and your nonprofit's name and tried to sell them back to you. I'm kind of barfing in my throat a little bit. That kind of... It makes me sad.
2: You know, it's, uh, I do like that entrepreneur style too. But you know, your own name being, it, it was a little funny. It's a little different not being able to own my own darn name. But you know, it's okay. We went on. But that's just like I teach my kids in our mentoring program when people put a roadblock up in front of you, you figure out how to get around it.
1: (laughs) That's just what I was going to say. I mean, part of entrepreneurship is you got to zig when other people zag. Somebody said, Aha, I gotcha, and you dissolved the organization and renamed it Rupert's Kids, and (laughs) we're up and running. Done. Done, done. That's right. That's right. Well, that's awesome. So so what made you, I mean, obviously, when we think of entrepreneurship, you know, in this society, we think of people starting tech companies and, you know, scaling businesses. But in reality, I mean, what you have done is you have created this this organization, this nonprofit that is helping people, and you've created it in such an entrepreneurial way. What do you think gave you that entrepreneurial spirit? Were you always that way? Were you the kid uh, with lemonade stands when you were five years old? What gave you that entrepreneurial drive to start
2: this and grow it? it. Oh my gosh, yes. Even I was that kid even that would have the little backyard circus with the crawdads (laughs) and turtles and fish that I would catch in the pond and have in my, you know, and charge kids a nickel to play around with the the creatures that we caught. When I was six years old, I was a seeing eye dog for a few months for one of my father's friends that had lost his dog Uh, and I was paid a quarter a day. I was the best darn seeing eye dog ever. Uh, By 10 years old, You know, I had a paper route. By 15, I was working a full-time job and and going to high school. By, you know, 20 years old, I was out in Texas working the oil field and found my true passion of the institution work and the, the mental health field. But really fine tuning that to figure out who I was. But yes, my whole life, that is what we teach now. That self-reliance, that self-sufficiency, that self-worth, you know, being able to rely on yourself when everything else around you is falling apart. You can pull it all back together.
1: So how did you discover that you enjoyed helping people who had these types of problems or were incarcerated? Where did where did that come from?
2: Um, well, you know, uh, I, I tell the, the men and women in our program all the time, even I was no angel. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I was one of our guys in the program. But back in my day, instead of taking you straight to jail, they would look at you, you know, pour your beer out or pour whatever out, grind it into the dirt, and say, I'm taking you home. Not, I'm taking you to jail and ruining your life. Mm. Mm. Uh being watching our system go to more of a punitive watching them turn the detention centers into a for-profit business watching companies and prisons be guaranteeing that we stay above 95 percent capacity uh all the things that i'm watching that i watched as the change especially from the inside inside in, in the uh institutions as one of the workers seeing how we need to go back to the old ways of giving those second chances of teaching, you know, grabbing a hold and letting the school of hard knocks be a teacher instead of just throwing them away. You know, I was one of those young men, but... I was able to have a second chance.
1: Sure, sure. So, now that you've been doing this and that you've created this 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 wonderful program and you know, it's become, you know, more than just a thing. It's obviously part of your life. What do you love? Right. What do you love about the fact that you've been able to sort of carve your own path in the world? What do you like about
2: that? You know, being able to show and you know, I Showing what we're trying to create here is that template, that template that any city USA can use, that every city, every community across the country needs. You know, we've all got overcrowded detention centers in our community, and people are, and communities are fighting to get more prisons in their, in their uh communities instead of looking at how we can put these guys back to work and help all of us instead of pay to put people behind bars. Every city has got that uh, that abandoned building. Every city has got that overcrowded detention center. Every city has that group of people. I want to be able to create a template that we can spread across the country and show people the step by step process that has taken me years to do that I've done the leg work, I see how we, what we have to do to change the zoning law to make some of these abandoned properties have the ability to house and teach young men and women how to make that legal living and not spend tax dollars, do it, not cost us money, but save everyone out there tax dollars and go back to the old way of looking at the end product being the life that you're changing not the dollars that it's generating so let's you know, let's talk what a little I'm bit really proud of let's, let's talk li- to show that
1: let's talk a little bit more about about two things you just said one is you know sort of the dollars that, it, that it's costing our communities to do this rather than being able to put these people back to work but more importantly you've got 20 30 years of experience doing this what is what is the hard part of being a 501c3 and trying to work with the government
2: you know, being, being that 501c3 that is working at trying to lessen the population and the detention centers when most programs out there are trying to increase. It is just now the pendulum starting to swing back to see maybe locking everyone up is not the answer. Maybe creating more problems is not the answer. Being able to show that, you know, the dollars we spend locking someone up for $40,000, $60,000 a year really just gets us that ability to spend it again next year. It is not getting us very much bang for our buck, but it is providing a lot of income and a lot of money generated out there in our program and what we're doing and the ability to show that you can take a... A, someone that is addicted to alcohol or drugs, someone that is a career criminal, some, uh, uh, you know, someone that has never made a legal living in their life. Teach them, it might take a year or two, but teach them how to make a legal living. Spend maybe five, $6,000 a year teaching them how to, because they're out there working, learning on their own, making their own money. And after a year or two, we spend no more money on them. And they go out into the community and pay their taxes, pay their way, take care of themselves and give back. You know, that in our world, when we talk about the dollars spent and the tax dollars out there and, you know, the the separation between the classes and the dollars, this is a great way to show how we can help all the population not have to spend so many tax dollars and be putting more productive workers back in more productive entrepreneurs these are the people that you know have been living on the street that make great businessmen and women they have that (laughs) that skill of hustling we just got to teach them how to hustle legally
1: (laughs) so you must have had some real good wins over the years where you've helped somebody uh and taught them these skills do you have a story that comes to mind of somebody who obviously was you know a criminal or they were on drugs who you know now has turned everything around and, and is doing exactly what you hope all of these people can do
2: you know, a young man that was walked into our office with the electronic tracker on his leg with them saying, this man, you know, he has nowhere. He has nothing. He's been living on the streets. We we are ready to throw him away. Luckily, I had some friendship with the detention center for them to give this kid a chance, but... They were ready to throw him away for 16 months in prison if we couldn't figure out how to get him a place to live and a job to be able to pay for his tracker. Now, in one year, he dropped over 100 pounds of weight and paid off over $8,000 in debt hmm. and stayed clean and sober. was a wonderful success story, but boy, when he walked in this door, there was no one or nothing that would help him or do for him. The system was ready to throw him away, spend a few hundred thousand dollars on locking him up. Teaching him nothing, doing nothing. Now, he's on his own, doing factory work, making 14 bucks an hour, taking custody of his children, paying for them, and buying his own property. Wow. You know, turning into a productive, truly a productive part of society instead of one that is just taking
1: Wow. That is I mean, I I get I get chills, you know, hearing things like that, because one of the things that I do, Rupert, is I go into companies and I I work with, you know, organizations, companies and associations talking about this gap that exists, obviously in the corporate world, not in the world that that you're in, but between potential and performance. And and how do we get people to get across this gap and actually achieve results? And what's amazing is, is even at the highest levels, even in white collar world, people aren't reaching their potential, And and yet we get so excited when people have potential. We think, oh, my gosh, this person just graduated from a top university or or whatever, and they don't go anywhere. Now, they're not dealing in in sort of the same problems that the people you're with are dealing with. But wasted potential is a bummer, no matter what where it is. Why do you think? Why do you why do you think some people? are able to make the leap across that gap from having the potential maybe to turn themselves around or maybe just to grow their career. Why do some people get to performance and other people get stuck? What's holding people back?
2: You know, I look at that so much, and we create individual program plans for each one of the young men and women in the program. You know, the rules aren't always the same, because some people need different motivation. Some people need different forms of encouragement. But I will say, when you have no support system, no one around you to help build you up in those sad times, in those dark times, in those hard times, it's really hard. Most people out there that have success will tell You, it was not just them. There were people in their lives, be it a camp counselor, a school teacher, a, you know, a someone in their church, a someone in their neighborhood that helped encourage them to believe that they could do. One of my favorite things is going out to the elementary schools, the middle schools, that have no idea who I am other than some big, hairy, scary tie-dye guy (laughs) that tells them that they should believe in themselves, that there's, you know, nothing they can't do. Even silly little me gets fan mail from 60 countries around the world. We've been taken out to South Africa, to, you know, to Thailand, to... Uh, you know so many different places and people come running up to me knowing my name and wanting my autograph it's from that little kid that grew up in Kokomo Indiana just like all the kids I talk to at these schools that never really realizes what your potential is if you believe in yourself it's amazing what happens but if you have others that can help encourage that belief just like we do I'll look at these guys in the eye, these men and women in our program, and tell them they can do, even when they don't believe it. And, you know, when somebody else is helping you, it's amazing how much easier it is to believe in yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it, sometimes it takes that little bit of encouragement, uh, and, and uh, you know, I remember that school teacher that helped me, that camp counselor that helped me, that that neighbor that cared about me, besides the family that I had, but, you know, being able to have that support system. And and when you want to help someone out of a dark situation, out of a drug or alcohol kind of situation, out of a... probation, parole, home detention kind of system, if you give them that ability to make a legal living, that ability to have a clean and safe environment to lay your head down and go to sleep, that ability to be encouraged, it's amazing what happens. We don't spend big dollars getting great results. We get great results. Because that's what we do. Hmm. We don't spend tax dollars. We save tax dollars. Every community out there can do this, and that's what we're going to help them do.
1: And you touched on something a minute ago about those people who come along at the right time in your life and, and give you that inspiration, directly or indirectly. And I, you know, one of the things I always say is all opportunity in life comes from people. And I think you probably work with a lot of people who think the world's against them. They, they forget or, or no one has ever shown them that there are people out there willing to help. Do you find that after these people get turned around, then they want to help other people? Is that sort of a common byproduct? Is it a pay it forward type program?
2: It's amazing how many of our young men and women go on to, uh, you know, be that self-employed someone that looks to hire someone else out of the system. Be that person that goes out and, you know, looks for the person in the neighborhood struggling to help them, maybe with their yard or that, that elderly neighbor that can't mow their yard anymore and is willing to go over and just help. When you have came from such a hard environment and you've came from a place where you feel like nobody cares about you and you make it to a space where you feel like you fit, it's amazing how easy it is to give back.
1: Mm. Rupert, I have, I have more questions for you. I'm just I'm blown away by the stuff that you're doing. But, but before, I have, to thank, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, okay. this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment and training to make sure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Rupert Bonham. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Rupert, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing with Rupert's kids
2: right now? Uh, The coolest thing, honestly, being able, just like today, being able to take out, and I've got you know six, seven, eight young men and women sitting around waiting for us to go to work, being able to take a group of fellow human beings that have never really felt like they fit somewhere, and showing them how we all, including me, (laughs) we all fit in this world, we all fit together, we all fit and we can make difference, every one of us. I love doing that. Like I said, I've been doing it for 27 years. I did, you know, institution work for nine years before that. I love taking people out and showing them the better side of this world.
1: So let's talk for a second about Survivor and The Amazing Race. So a lot of us, a lot of us sit in our living rooms and watch television and we watch shows. These reality TV shows for the last 20 plus years have become a huge part of the television lineup, both on regular networks and on cable. Uh, How does one go about how did Survivor uh, season seven? How did that how did that entry into this happen?
2: You know, I've always shown our guys in the mentoring program, you've got to have goals. You know, daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, yearly goals, life goals. My life goal was to show this world I'm good at something. had no idea what I was good at, but, you know, I always had that. That was that life goal that you work for all your life, and, you know, maybe sometime by the end of life, you might succeed. I saw Survivor come out on TV. You know, back then it was on Thursday nights. I remember coming into my uh, mentoring program then Friday saying, did you see that camping show last (laughs) night? Uh, The best camper wins a million dollars. I'm going on Survivor. It took me two years to get myself on that darn show after seeing that first season and wanting to be on it so bad. I even played a state fair survivor here in Indiana, made it in an in a eight foot by ten foot hut for ten days, made it to the end of that, <laughs> but still didn't win it. I was survivor crazy. For those two years, my buddies, my friends would look me right in the eye and say, There's no way you're ever getting on Survivor. Everybody in the world's trying to get on that show. You're never making it on. The young men and women in my program that I had were the encouragement that I had to keep putting in the application, keep trying to get the application, keep trying to get on the show. They were the ones that told, that knew that I was getting on that show. That's, you know, it all came when I saw it on TV first and I said, that's how I'm going to show the world I'm good at something. I'm the best camper I know.
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting because, you know, there's so many of us, myself included, who see these shows who think, oh, it would be so cool to be on that. And then we don't fill out the application. So, I mean, part part of that lesson and part of what you show, you know, the people who you're counseling, part of that message is, if you don't try, you're not going to have the opportunity. If you don't fill out the application, you have a 0% chance. I mean, it still might be a tough haul, but if you don't apply, you're never going to get there, right?
2: Exactly right. You know, uh, making that choice of not trying is the worst choice you could make. If there's something you want, you work towards it. You know, we, we had that talk yesterday in the group about the people that make the choice for right now, for today, for... Are the people that make the choice for the future. You know, who's looking towards huh, a better life for all of us? Who's looking towards the next adventure? Who's looking towards that cool next thing coming? Oh my gosh, those of us that keep our eyes open and keep, you know, aware, have a really cool time in this life.
1: <laughs> well, and this this ties in so much to what I've come to believe. When, when I turned 50, I made a decision. I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And I had spent a lot of time with the way I phrase it is my ladder was against the wrong wall. I was successful in business, but I wasn't doing kind of what I wanted to do. And so now for the last several years, I mean, I started before I was 50, but I've been working for myself now for 10 years. And I just like it better than corporate America. Do, do I make as much money ever? Every year, probably not, but uh, I like it. And then when I was 51, I started doing stand-up comedy. And this was something I wanted to do when I was a kid. I always wanted to be an actor or a comedian, and I was too scared. I didn't think I had a shot. I didn't think I was good enough. And at 51, I was dared to go to a comedy club in New York with a friend of mine and now i've done an open mic night like once a week since i've done like 67 open mic nights and and i will tell you i'm not the funniest person in the room but by showing up and challenging myself i'm growing and i'm learning and i'm having fun
2: yep yep Oh, my gosh, being able to have that dream, being able to follow that dream. You know, like I said, I even played a state fair survivor in Indiana when I was trying to get myself on the real survivor. Being able to give yourself that ability to, to even just look forward to something in the future. You know, honestly, in in the world, the anticipation of things sometimes is the best. You know? have, yeah, having Looking that goal, forward. having so the then, goal you know, in the journey. When I won Survivor, well, not one, when I became, <laughs> when I came, went back to back Survivor and be, was, was fourth on All-Stars and won over $100,000 just making it to fourth. (laughs) And I thought, and then I hear Jeff say, and now we're going to open the phone lines up for one of these 18 players to win a million dollars. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'd love to win that. And I stopped myself and I let myself just be happy with being the first person to make it back-to-back Survivor, to make it to the end, to make it 10 days longer with harder, you know, the best of the best of the survivors. Sure, Don't always be just looking for the next something also. When you do actually achieve, when you do reach some of those goals, give yourself that ability to just appreciate that also. I'm still living off just being able to be the first one that went back-to-back survivor and doing better on the second one. You know, um, being able to, to have that ability to see the value in everything out there, not just the million dollar big win, but all of it, you know, even the little one of, you know, just a smile between two people walking by the street. It's amazing what happens in your world when you do that.
1: So that 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 all star one, I think season eight, I think you were on there with Colby Donaldson, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. And what's funny is I met you on a Wednesday, I think. Maybe it was a a Thursday and we had a nice conversation and I was with the whole cast of, of, of season 31 of The Amazing Race. It was kind of a, a surreal experience to be sitting there, uh, to be sitting literally three feet from Colin and Christy when the show aired at the thing and they won a million dollars. It's like, hey, they're sitting right next to me. Um, the next day I was in a Starbucks in Austin, Texas, where I live and Colby Donaldson walked into the Starbucks and I'm like, God, I don't know him, but I'm like, this is like reality TV show week. So so I walked I walked up and I said, hey, I had uh, I, I stood around and talked yesterday for like a half hour with with Rupert and he looked at me like. How the hell do you know Rupert? And I'm like, this is just a weird thing. So, so he has agreed to be on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do uh, very soon. Oh, so, good. yeah. So I've got I've got a whole slew of uh, reality TV stars. You're the first one. Uh, we've got Colin next week. Uh, I'm going to interview Christy coming up here about about her life coaching business and the transformations that they've made. Uh, I'm going to interview several of the teams from season 31. Uh, Team Fun is going to come on. So it's 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 been it's been sort of like my little Star. Thing, But what, what do you think, to wrap up this sort of reality TV uh, little section here, a uh, discussion, what do you think are the lessons from Survivor or Your Amazing Race that correlate to business?
2: You know, it's, I tell people the, the, this is one of my just quick little tales. It doesn't matter uh, if it's, if the situation is at school, at work, at home, in your relationship, in survivor, in, it matters how you treat yourself and others, you know? It matters who you are inside. When I was going through Survivor, and even the producers would look at me and say, you're playing this game too darn nice, you can't be that trusty. you can't be that. <laughs> and I've been, I've been able to be me um, and play with some honor. Uh no matter what the situation is when you play the game with honor you'll always be a winner.
1: Wow so as we wrap this up Rupert there's a couple of things one is I want to I want to talk a little bit about what Rupert's kids really needs to take it to the next level what are you trying to do what are some things that that uh, are the next step and I know that probably one of the things that helps with that is money so before we go into that I do want to say that you also at that uh, watching party that we're at met my friend Dave from New Year Publishing who is the publisher of the Mm -hmm. book I wrote and Dave and I had a conversation yesterday when I told him I was going to uh be interviewing you, and New York Publishing would like to send five hundred dollars to Rupert 's kids I, I wish it could oh be my a lot I wish it could be a lot more, but i'm so well.
2: app- that is wonderful. Honestly, that pays the payroll for a couple of my guys for a week of work, two weeks of work. That being able to show and, you know, we on our RupertsKids.org website have a donate button that is very important to us because we do not take, we do not get those tax dollars. We help save those tax dollars. We don't want to spend the tax dollars. Well, that's- We live off what we can. Can generate with our work that we are we do in our mentoring program and get paid for, and what the community sees uh, as value and helps finance. That's how we make our dollars. Well, Dave and I, I were I looking would, at
1: your website and we were talking about it, and he said, "You know what? We have a, we have a little bit of money at New Year Publishing. Let's let's send them five hundred dollars and let's encourage the people." Are listening to the show, whether it's five dollars or five hundred dollars or or more, if somebody is touched by what Rupert is doing and how he's helping people, you know, I wanted to take this time to make a little bit of a plea. I hope some people will go to rupertskids.org and hit that donate button because I've been blown away doing the research, preparing for this interview on just everything that you've done and of course I'm a little bit of a fan uh, from Survivor and Amazing Race of, of you but uh, more importantly maybe there's someone who's listening who will be touched and will give maybe a couple of more dollars so so we wanted to do that but then I want to transfer into what is it that you guys are working on what do you need to, to get what are you close to doing what's the next step
2: see we are Steps away We are, we, the state just threw a little bit of a roadblock in front of us with the 12-bed facility that we are literally weeks, maybe now with this new uh, little twist, but I'm meeting with the mayor this afternoon at 2 o'clock to see about writing a variance for our fire suppression system in a, you know, 2,000-square-foot, five-exited... <laughs> building that uh, we are trying right now. We are so close to creating a 12 bed facility that is funded totally on its own. No tax dollars spent in setting it up, no tax dollars spent in running it, and just like we run over a 70% success rate in our program, I am pretty much uh, assured in my heart that we will still run a 70% success rate with, the alcohol and drug addictions with the career criminals out of this facility. And it won't cost us $50,000 a year per person. It will cost us zero per year per person on our tax dollars. But we are looking for electricians and plumbers to help if we've got to set up the water suppression system. We're already, besides writing the variants, like I say, we don't stop at a roadblock. We'll find our way around it. We're already looking for plumbers and pipe fitters that want to come out and help us create that fire suppression system that, you know, we got the quote at $25,000 to run water pipe and and sprinkler heads. (laughs) We're looking for that, that awareness and that teamwork from not only our own community here in central Indiana, but from across the country, you know, uh, I would be more than willing to put up a plumber or electrician that would want to come in here uh, for a few days and help us run these. Run these water lines, (laughs) satisfy the state. I wish I was
1: a plumber or an electrician. I would come and do the work just to hang out for three days with Rupert Bonham.
2: (laughs) I tell you what, that's why we put our address out there for everyone in the world to see here at 24 West Broadway in Shelbyville, Indiana, just 15 miles outside of Indianapolis for people to show up at our door. I show our young men and women in our program. We are not hiding. We are out in the community. We are proud of who we are. We know we've made, you know, not all the right choices, but we're making up for it, and we're giving back. <laughs> Anybody out there that wants to come see us, you don't even have to make an appointment. You walk in our doors. If you're lucky enough to get here between nine and nine thirty, I'm sitting here gathering our participants, and we're off to work. Well, Monday through Friday, and, come and on I can out.
1: and I can attest for it. Hanging out with. Rupert Bottom is a lot of fun because I got to do that a few <laughs> weeks back and uh, I bet that you could even you know go outside and have a cigar at some point oh heck yes <laughs> hey Rupert <laughs> thank you so much for coming and sharing the time with those of us here oh. on cool things entrepreneurs do thank you
2: You are very welcome. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure.
1: If somebody wants to get a hold of you, you gave the address, but if they maybe live far away, what's the best way to reach you? What's the best way to send money? How do do people find Rupert's Kids?
2: Uh Rupertskids.org and I'll tell you office at RupertsKids is the secret at uh, secret email that comes right to me. <laughs> Kay and I are sitting here right now looking even at the uh, office at e at dot org email right now. Well it's not a secret anymore. 20- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I said it's
1: not a secret anymore. We just told everybody. Yeah,
2: that's good. That's good. <laughs> Office at Rupert's dot org. But also, I'll even give you our phone number because you can pull that off the website. 317-251-4732. We've, uh, we've had that number for gosh, decades.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I am sure there is not a person who is still listening to this podcast who isn't going to agree. This was one of the most fun interviews that we have ever had in now. Gosh, how many episodes has it been? I, I, I lose count. It's uh hang on. I have paperwork we are at (laughs) I want to get it right we we are at number 478 is what this interview uh, is what this podcast episode is about 400 of those are interviews and uh, so thank you for for coming in and being one of the most fun in over 400 interviews and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened because I say it every time if it wasn't for the audience why would we do a show Uh, if you like the show jump over to iTunes and leave a review Uh, reach out to me on social media I'm at Tom Singer T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R uh, Everywhere Or you can also find That this show Has its own Facebook page Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do And has uh, its own Twitter account At Cool Podcasts. Because as we proved today With people like Rupert This is the cool podcast Alright We're going to be back in a, <laughs> We're going to be back In a couple of days With an interview With somebody just as cool As Rupert Bonham I know you're thinking, how is that possible? But it's going to be Colin Gwynn. It's going to be another uh, Amazing Race contestant. Is going to be episode 479, so make sure you don't miss that one. And uh, go out there in the meantime. Try new things. Make a difference.
0: And while you're at it, have a great day.